if you're here for the first time, uh, we're so thankful that you decided to worship with us today. You know, something I want to bring to our attention before we jump back into Ephesians is that Kids Week is in three and a half weeks. Yeah, we're excited about Kids Week. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big week uh, for our kids. It's one of the biggest three days of the year in the life of our kids' ministry. It's not just some program that we run. You know, it's a means, it is a means to invest and disciple the next generation. Uh, and so we want, you know, we want, we know that every testimony in the life of, a, of, of every person is a miracle. But as a parent, we like to say that we want our kids to have really boring testimonies because they come to Christ at a young age and they just grow to have deep affections for Jesus. You know, we're not just teaching our kids Bible stories, but just like we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians, we're helping to shape their gospel identity that is found in Jesus. You know, I know as a dad, one of my constant prayers is that my kids would not just know the Bible and know who Jesus is and know the facts of Christianity, but that they would be hungry for the Word and be hungry for the Lord. That they would know it not just as information, but as transformation. And yes, we know that the primary place for our kids' discipleship is in the home, and we do want to equip our people for that. But what a blessing it is for the community of people called the church to come around each and every kid and just model and display what it looks like to be transformed by Jesus. And Kids Week is a major part of this. And so yes, our kids are being discipled, encouraged, invested in very intentionally for three days, but I also don't want us to miss the missional aspect of Kids Week. You know, I know there are a lot of kids and families that will be way more likely to come to Kids Week than to come to church. And so Kids Week, it is an incredible opportunity for your kids to invite their friends to come and hear about the love of Jesus. You know, I'm praying and believing that God will save several kids at Kids Week this year. Because they heard the gospel clearly, maybe for the first time. You know, we've been praying for over the, a year and a half to see more families get plugged in and connected to our church and Kids Week is one of the best and biggest front doors we have to see families get connected here. You know, we're praying for 100 kids this year, which is a bit crazy, right? That's almost double what we had last year. Uh, and I can't express enough the incredible opportunity Kids Week is to reach and engage those around us. And I also know that if we're going to have 100 kids, it's going to take every single family going all in and inviting and it's something we encourage here in our church is for every member to have three to five people that we're actively praying for and sharing the love of Jesus with every person. And I'll say this, if any of those people that you're praying for have kids, you need to invite them to Kids Week. Because something we also pray here is that the kids would be so excited about coming to church that they would then drag their parents back to church. And then I also want to say this, what an incredible opportunity to, to disciple your kids and encourage them to live on mission just by asking them, hey, who are your three to five of your friends that you want to invite to Kids Week? If you have multiple kids, ask each of them about three to five friends. Maybe it's not three to five, maybe it's 10 to 20. You know, our kids, we're, we're, we're inviting baseball teams, softball teams, kids in their classes, neighborhoods. You know, it's going to take everyone going all in uh, to see 100 kids at Kids Week this year. And just imagine with me, maybe this fall, us having several kids get baptized as a fruit of Kids Week, just from our simple efforts to invite. You know, I, I really believe that eternity could be altered in the, in the life of many kids just through a simple invitation. And so who is it that you and your family are praying would come to Kids Week? Again, we're three and a half weeks out. Uh, and so this week is the week to start sending them the link to get them signed up. Uh, and most importantly, please, please be praying for this. 
So that's how we're going to be jumping back in uh, to the book of Ephesians and picking up where AJ left off last week. You know, in a lot of ways, last week, AJ introduced the theme for the next few weeks in Ephesians 4 and 5. It's the old life and new life theme. And then what, uh, that when we are in Christ, we're made new. The old life is gone and the new life is here. We take off the old, worn out clothes of the old life before Christ and we get a new set of clean clothes in our new life with Christ. This is what happens with us and to us when we place our faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus was God and that, that he died on the cross and that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he rose from, dead, uh, rose from the dead. And because of the resurrection through our faith, the Spirit of God comes into our life and makes us new. We are at the moment of our saving faith. We are 100% totally new creations. God looks at you, at us, as a, with a totally new gospel identity that we've seen in chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians. We're saints. We're redeemed. We're washed by the blood of Jesus. We're God's beloved children. We're totally clean and free, 100% from our sin. All of this happens instantaneously at the point of our faith. And this identity is what we get to then live out of and into every single day of our life. It is truly incredible. And Christian, rejoice in that again today. Like this is our amazing grace that we just sang about. While at the exact same time, I think we can all know and agree that although we're given this new identity, we each still have some work to do. Like when God looks at us, he sees Jesus because we're hidden with Christ. But maybe if we're honest with ourselves, when our spouse and friends look at us, maybe that's not always the case. This is true for every follower of Jesus. Like we're 100% clean and free, seen as redeemed saints, as holy and blameless through the blood of Jesus, while yet at the exact same time, we can confidently say, God's not done with us yet. We're still a work in progress. And in Ephesians chapter 4, last week, one of the things that we saw gets renewed that is still being transformed is our minds. And it shouldn't surprise us that one of the first things that Paul shows us that continually needs to be renewed and transformed every single day is our mind. The greatest spiritual war in our day doesn't happen outside of us, but inside of us. It happens in our minds. New City, the devil is a liar. He whispers lies and he deceives us in our minds. And so what does Paul urge us to renew daily? Well, he says our minds. When we change the way we think, thinking on things of the Lord uh, and what brings us joy in life, it changes our life. It's true, when you change your mind, you change your life. God transforms our, our life through the inside out, not the outside in. And the transformed life, it starts with a transformed mind. And so today and over the next three weeks, we're going to uh, see several other things that God begins to transform and change. And these are, these are the things that happen uh, more so outside of us than those uh, that those around us can really see. These are the things that your spouse and your friends see and experience. Both are good and maybe not the not so good. And so we're going to do something a little different over the next three weeks. Now, we're going to use the same passage three weeks in a row. It's a long passage, okay, but we're going to look at, at three different themes that run throughout these 29 verses at the end of chapter 4 all the way to the begin, in the beginning of chapter 5. And this week, the theme that we're going to highlight in those 29 verses is going to be our words. So let's read our entire uh, passage, all 29 verses, and then we'll highlight our main idea and the theme of how we speak. Look, starting at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, we're going to read all the way down to verse 21 of chapter 5. Therefore, 
having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, chapter 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not, be even, uh, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there no, be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous or that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, uh, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become par- partners with them. For at one time you were, uh, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you, on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as, wise, but as, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. That's our text for the next three weeks. And yes, there is a lot there. There's a lot to uncover and unpack. A bunch of this is like, do this, don't do this. Be that, don't be that. And as I said, we'll look at this with three running major themes. This week, we're going to look at the theme of our words. Seeing as our main idea for today, God renews our speech, our words, how we talk. And then the the next two weeks that follow, we'll look at how God also kind of gives us, how he changes our relationships which we're going to look at next week, and then also how he, he gives us new actions and new works, how we live our life outwardly. And as we look at how God renews our speech today, it shouldn't surprise us that it comes immediately following a renewal of our minds. If it, if it was Jesus that said in Luke 6.45 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The way that we speak and what we say, it is a direct reflection of our inner life in our heart and mind. If we didn't think it, we wouldn't say it. What we say is a direct correlation to what we think. And you know what? The inverse is also true. What we say also directly influences the way we think. But not just how we think, but it also affects everyone around us. You know, as Rabbi 
Heschel that said that our words create worlds. The words that we say, whether good or bad, they directly influence our world. And I love how psychologists and sociologists are starting to finally catch up to what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years around this, which is the way in which we speak, it alters our life, either for good or for bad. It's often said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Well, we can say the exact same thing about our words. Let me hear how you speak and I'll show you your future. And this is not some self-help thing. No, this is a Bible thing. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words we say have the power to either bring life or bring death. Our words are not neutral. They're either building courage in life or they're building discouragement and death. Every time we speak to our spouse or our kids or our friends and those around us, we have the opportunity to either bring words of life, words that breed encouragement, or we're breeding words of death, words that tear down and discourage. And so when we enter into a room, we can either build courage or take courage. And how? What's through our words? I've got a lot of things that I pray for our church, but this year specifically, the Lord has led me to pray that we would be a church that just builds courage in one another. That we would week in and week out just breathe life into one another. And how do we do this? We do it with our words. Your words are a powerful tool in both the hands of God, and also, we can't miss this, they're also powerful in the hands of our enemy. God uses them to bring life, but the enemy uses them to bring death. And so we need to just simply ask, how are we using our words? Maybe with your spouse or your friends or your family. You know, some of you know, I've, I've been a Little League baseball coach for uh, seven, eight-year-old boys. Um, and, you know, last spring, we had one kid on our team that he was just crushing the ball every single game. He had the highest batting average in the entire league. I mean, an eight-year-old kid was batting 800 for the season. I mean, just totally crushing the ball every game. He played on our team on Saturday. He, went three for, he would often go three for three, two doubles, and a home run. On Sunday, he played in an advanced baseball league, same machine, same ball, 0 for 3, three strikeouts. And this happened for several weekends in a row, crushing it with us every game and then strike out with them. Same machine, not, not a lot, not many differences. And I finally asked the dad, what's going on? And he said, well, the coaches are really getting on him. Sundays, they're screaming and yelling at him, telling him to pick it up, get it together, and it's killing his confidence. He's terrified to mess up. And he gets in his head and then he strikes out. But on Saturdays, he's having fun. We're building him up, giving him confidence, and he crushes the ball. And so what was the difference? Words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words create worlds. The words we say, they create the worlds that we live in. And so if God wants to change our life and transform us, where does he start? We starts with our minds, and then he also starts in how we speak. We see this in our relationships and our families. We see it at work and all around us. It's so easy for us to get into a downward cycle in how we communicate with one another. I mean, criticism breeds more criticism. Discouragement breeds more discouragement. Yelling breeds more yelling. Snarky sassiness breeds more snarky sassiness. And on and on, the downward spiral goes. New City, God did not create us to live this way. And we cannot settle for this. And we cannot say, well, this is just how families talk. This is just how kids talk. Or this is just how friends talk. No, not at all. This is how sinners talk. And so I think we can agree there must be a new way. 
Jesus gave up his life at the cross to redeem and restore and renew the way in which we speak. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to walk back through our text and highlight just the verses that point out how we are to speak and how we are not to speak. And in it, as an outline for us, we'll see Paul charge us. We'll see it right here on the screen. Number one, uh, speak true words. Speak life-giving words. Avoid empty, corrupting words. And number four, speak spirit-filled words of praise. And I want to make sure it's abundantly clear as we dive into this that we remember that our gospel identity, it always comes first. We live out of who we are in Christ. We don't live to define who we are in Christ. We live from acceptance, not for acceptance. And there is a massive difference here. It's like, kind of like that root-fruit paradigm that we've talked about. We don't, uh, we don't get good, healthy fruit in our life by focusing on the fruit. Just like we don't go to Publix and staple their apples on our apple tree out in the yard. No, we plant the apple tree in good, healthy soil, and then we water it and take care of it, and then the fruits just come. The same is true for us in our life. We get the fruits that come from Jesus by putting the roots of our life in the soil of the gospel and letting God water the soil. And these, are the, and the, and these things we'll see today with our speech, the way we speak is the fruit that comes by our, uh, by our life just sitting in the soil of Jesus. Yes, discipline and accountability, they're good. We need this. They're part of the process of transformation. But if we have discipline and accountability without the power of Jesus shaping us and changing us, that discipline and accountability will either cause us to snap and break or it won't have any sort of lasting results. Maybe this illustration will help. And we think of how true uh, lifelong change happens in our life. I think think it's helpful to try to think about just bending and shaping a metal bar. Like if you try to bend a metal bar with just brute strength, it will either, uh, it, it will just snap in two. It'll break. Or as soon as you let go, it will just snap right back in place and it won't last. And so how do we bend and shape a metal bar? Well, you have to first heat it up. You have to soften the metal with heat. And then you can bend it so it doesn't break. And it also doesn't snap back. And so, yes, we need discipline and accountability. That, that's kind of like bending the bar, but we need to first put it under the heat and the fire that comes from Jesus. And so, yes, today we will inspect uh, our words, but if we think with all of this, I need to be a nicer person, I need to speak more kindly, we've kind of missed it. No, we're inspecting the fruit of our life through our words that then leads us and reminds us that we need to stay in the soil of God's love and grace. You know, we don't, uh, we don't do more and try harder. No, we sit under the heat of God's love longer. And so what happens when we sit under the heat of God's love? We'll look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. When we seat, sit under the heat of God's love, the Spirit then leads us to, number one, speak true words. When we're walking in our new gospel identity and we're living out of that new identity, the resulting fruit is living a life of truth. When we're walking in the Spirit and we're yielded to God, we don't lie, we don't speak falsehood as Paul said in our verse. No, we speak the truth with one another. And this is nothing earth-shattering. You know, it's generally agreed upon in society that telling the truth is just an admirable virtue. It's like, thank you, pastor, I will tell the truth. 
And we say that, and yet, how easy is it just to maybe twist the truth, to make our life seem better than it really is? Or how easy is it to hide parts of the truth, which is a means of distorting the truth, which is in itself a means of falsehood? And I'm not saying we have to share every detail of every situation with every person. We need to use wisdom and discernment. But if we're intentionally withholding information that would distort a picture of reality, we're not speaking true words. Just as an example, kind of a heavy example. You know, from my experience, when someone confesses sin or brings something into the light, which is good and courageous, like that's really hard to do. But the unfortunate reality is that it is often not the whole truth the first time. And the truth is often spun in a way that makes our sin sound better than it really is. Like it's really easy to withhold the last two to three percent. And that last two to three percent, God wants wants that to be brought into the light because that's where healing and that's where restoration happens. But instead, we keep it into the dark. A partial confession is not a true confession. That's not speaking the whole truth. And we could go on and on about the need to tell the truth or, or to speak the truth when it's not easy to share the truth, knowing that it may cause conflict or strife or discomfort. And we often think we're loving people by withholding the truth. But no, we can share the whole truth and also do it in love. We don't have to spin reality because the Spirit of God is inside of us and it compels us and leads us to speak of a true reality. And how can we do this with confidence? Well, Paul says in verse 25, he says, We're members of one another. We're one body. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. If the eyes of a body, like if it didn't tell the hand that the stove was hot, the whole body experiences pain. And hopefully that doesn't happen. And why? Because the whole body's hopefully unified. New City, we can be open and honest with one another because hopefully we each understand grace and Jesus and the cross, and hopefully we understand the depths of our own sin. You know, one of the most freeing things we can do is to live in the truth and to also speak the truth. When we stretch the truth or hide the truth or ignore the truth with our words, the world we live in isn't 100% true, which is still a life of bondage. Church, Jesus went to the cross and died so we could live in a true and a free reality and not a mirage of reality. So number one, those who have their roots in the soil of God's grace, we, number one, speak true words. But then look down at verse 29 and 30. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And look down at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we speak true words, and we also, number two, speak life-giving words. So when we put off the old life and put on the new life, this is part of that new life that God begins to do in us. Paul said in verse 21, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is for building up. And then it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words have so much incredible power. I mean, just think about this. When someone is down in the tumps, sad or fearful, God has given us life-giving words to speak into their life that doesn't tear them down, but rather builds them up. Just think about this. When someone walks into our presence, God has equipped us as the body of Christ, individually and also corporately, with life-giving words that can totally change their life. 
I mean, every interaction we have with every person that we see, it is an opportunity to build and breathe life and courage into their heart and soul. I mean, what a privilege. I mean, what an honor and weight this is. But the only way we can do this with any sort of authenticity and consistency is if we're deeply connected to the giver of life himself. It's the root, it's if the roots of our life are sitting in the soil of courage himself. Just like sitting uh, with Jesus. Jesus is courage. It comes by being nourished day in and out by Jesus in his mercy and grace. So please listen. Like the people around us, they need us to sit under the fire of God's transforming grace so that they too can experience and see through us that same transforming fire. Y'all, when we breathe life and courage into people, that's the Lord breathing his transforming fire through us and to them. This is the way God works. For whatever reason, God has deemed it fit for God to speak the, for God to speak the world into existence with the power of his words. God deemed it fit for us to be encouraged by the power of God's written word. And for, the, and for souls to be saved, people to come to Christ through responding to the proclamation of the gospel through God's proclaimed word. Yo, I can't say this enough. Our words are powerful. And so us, we have the privilege and honor to see a weary soul and then to listen to them, be kind and tender-hearted towards them, and then forgive them as Christ forgives us, just as Paul said in our text. Husbands and wives, what a gift this is just to be able to breathe life into your spouse. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what a gift it is to instill courage into one another's lives that can just lead them to be zealous for the Lord. And you know what just jumped off the page this week for me personally? Look back at verse 30. Paul said in the middle of this, all of this word talk, look what he said, and do not, be gr- and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, we could easily see this as a, isolated statement to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to not squelch the Holy Spirit, to not sadden or ignore the Spirit that sealed us for redemption. Like that's good in itself, that's true, but I find it so fascinating But that this whole idea came in the middle of a teaching on words, sandwiched between kind of our second and third point here. It's almost a bit of a transition statement for us, but it's so powerful. But this idea of not grieving the Holy Spirit is connected up to verse 29, connected to our words that build and give grace, which I find so interesting. And so we need to ask, why? Why is this? And well, because this is exactly how the Spirit works. The Spirit of God wants to work through us to then speak life and courage and to build up others. And when we fail to offer grace and when we uh, don't build up Paul is saying we're grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to go to work through our words, but we're squelching out the Spirit through our inaction, which is why there's no such thing as a neutral encounter with our words. Our words are either pleasing to God and used by the Holy Spirit, or they're not pleasing to God and they grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, life and death are in the power of the tongue. The words we say have massive influence. So as we think about verse 29 uh, that speaks on building one another up with our words and showing grace to one another with our words, when we do that, that's God by the Spirit working through us. But when we don't do it, when we withhold encouragement and grace-filled words, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And why? Well, because God wants to work through us. 
and we're withholding a gift that God wants to give our brothers and sisters in Christ through our encouraging words. So New City, speaking courage into one another's lives, it's a gift from God that he wants to pass through us and to those around us. And so when we're sitting under the heat of God's love, he shapes us into, number one, those who speak truth, and number two, those who speak life-giving words. And now look briefly at verse 31 to get into our third point. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so as we think about the things that grieve the Holy Spirit, when we do them and the things we're put to put away and not to do, Paul says we grieve the Spirit when we harbor bitterness and anger, when we cause a ruckus through our speech, when we slander and speak poorly of people. And let me just say this doesn't have to be with a microphone in a public setting, <laughs> with everyone watching. It also just includes with our close friends behind closed doors. Slander and bitterness and anger, it grieves the Holy Spirit. No matter the size of the crowd or the amount of people listening, it grieves the Spirit. And why? Well, because whoever is listening to us slander or to speak poorly about someone, we're creating a world with our words in their life that could potentially hinder them being used as a means of God's grace to build courage and life in the one we're slandering. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. And so what does Paul charge us to do? Well, number three, avoid empty, corrupting words. You know, there really is no place inside the body of Christ for words that tear apart and tear down. Maybe you've heard it said that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think we all know that's just not true. It's a total lie. Like words hurt. You know, a few years ago, with our first Christmas here in Florida, my mom uh, got all of our kids these kind of fake cotton snowballs. We obviously don't get snow down here in Florida. So it was our way of bringing uh, snow to Florida. So what do we do with these cotton snowballs? I mean, we had an all-out Hovis family war. I mean, a snowball fight on a beautiful 75-degree December day. And, y'all, I went hard, about threw my arm out, um, throwing it so hard at my kids, just like, take these balls, and they were just like balls of cotton, and you would just peg them in the face as hard as you could. I mean, my youngest, she was probably two or three at the time, just nailing her in the faith, face. And what would she do? Y'all, she would just laugh. They all just laughed. And they would just say, do it again. I mean, they thought it was hilarious. We did this for about two hours straight, just pegging each other in the face. And you know what happened? We all walked away without any wounds or bruises, or blood, or tears. It was a totally guilt-free, Hovis family war. It was beautiful. But as we think about this idea, that's often how we think with our words. Just peg him in the face with our words, no harm, no foul. Which again, is just not true. Again, every word we speak is either giving life or death. It's still either building up or it's tearing down. New City, when God begins to renew us, one of the things that God does in us is he begins to put away a lot of our words that tear down and destroy and our words that poke fun. And we then put on life-giving words. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So what do our words of death look like? They look like crude joking. They look like filthy and foolish talking. And in contrast, what are words of life? Paul says, let there be thanksgiving. Having, y'all, just having a, 
a posture of thankfulness. This is an incredible tool in the hands of God. The old life, speaking foolish words, uh, and then new life, God is forming us into speaking words of thankfulness. And believe me, I know it's easy to find things to express concern or criticize. Like I'm naturally just a critical thinker and a problem solver. And so I, find the pro- I like to prob- the f- solve- find the problem and solve it. And I'm just energized by it. Which means I have to work really hard to be thankful and content. Like everything can always be better. Always. All the time. But a thankful and content heart is so powerful in the hands of God. And it breeds life and joy. With our jobs and our relationships, with the church, expressing outwardly with our mouths, using words to express thankfulness, it is a great tool for us to use. It will change our day. Not just thinking about it, but like outwardly saying it, like out loud to ourselves. I'll do this all the time in the car. When we're grumpy or sad or grouchy or smug, whatever it is, maybe we just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. If we can fight for a spirit of thankfulness using our words and actively praying out loud, expressing thanks for all the blessings of our day, New City, the words we say, they change the world that we walk in. So instead of walking in bitterness and anger, we can then walk in joy and thankfulness. You know, we have to proclaim the things that are true to ourselves, even when our heart doesn't believe it. And why do we need to do this? Because again, our enemy is a liar and a deceiver. Satan is continually whispering words of death into our minds all day long, seeking to steal our joy. Again, that's what the devil does. The devil is a liar. And so we must avoid those empty, corrupting, life-stealing words that do not come from God. No, when we're sitting in the heat of God's love and seeking to use our words to build up, we, number one, speak true words. Number two, speak life-giving words. Number three, avoid empty, corrupting words. And then lastly, we also, number four, speak spirit-filled words of praise. Oh, it is really hard to grumble and complain when we're actively expressing thankfulness. But I will say, I know from personal experience, yes, it is possible. Because yes, we can be sad about one thing, and also thankful about another at the exact same time. Like we are constantly living in the tension of hardship and also joyful gratitude. Like these can both happen at the same time because this is the world that we live in. Like we're still in this world, living in this world, but living with the power of another world. We're in our temporary home that is unfinished, but in the process of being redeemed and transformed to our future home, for our forever home. But what makes following Jesus so unique and special is that no matter where we are in our world, no matter what is going on in this life, our God is a firm foundation. Our world is always changing, but God never changes. Our circumstances are often shifting and changing, but the goodness and kindness and the loving character of God has always stayed the same. And because of this, we always, always have a reason to praise the Lord. But do you know what? Many days I know that we have to choose to praise the Lord and sing praises to the Lord even when our heart doesn't want to sing them. We often have to command our heart to believe the things that our mouth then declares and sings. And it is good and right for us to do this. We're painting a picture of the world that we're seeking and, and to live in. We're essentially leading our hearts to the green pastures of God's love and grace by telling our heart what is true and right, even when our heart struggles to believe what is true. And church, remember, who are we? 
We are truth tellers, which includes telling and proclaiming the truth to ourselves all day long. We all need this every day. Our words, they have power. Look at what Paul says about this in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are filled with the Spirit, when our heart is singing praises to the Lord, like when we finally believe what we proclaim to be true and we're led to praise the Lord, what do we do? We then address and speak and turn to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with our heart and giving thanks always for everything to God. That's what it says. So New City, when God changes our hearts and minds, leading us to praise, we then in turn speak praises to one another. And I want you to just stop and think about this with me for a second. And think about that phrase when Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul didn't say addressing ourselves. No, he said addressing one another. And so what do we do? Well, we in turn Uh, We turn and we look and we speak and we sing to one another the truths of God, expressing thankfulness. And when we are in here singing here in corporate worship, using our words to sing praises, we aren't just singing to God like this isn't just a me and God thing. No, we are also at the exact same time corporately declaring to one another and rejoicing together collectively, this is what is true. So songs and hymns and spiritual songs, they have a special way of getting truth that we know to be true in our head and then kind of massaging them down into our hearts and souls. This is why our corporate gatherings are so important. We're not just singing songs to God, we're singing to one another and declaring truth to one another as we sing. God created us as people who worship, and so when we worship the Lord, specifically through our singing, through singing words... We're fighting off a spirit of discouragement. We're fighting off a spirit of apathy and anger and bitterness. We're fighting off words of death and we're proclaiming words of life. And in turn, we're putting our stake in the ground. We're saying, these are the words, these are the truths. This is the world that I'm going to live in. We're proclaiming and declaring that, the, that we live in a world that is ruled by Jesus, that gives and breathes life and not the enemy that whispers lies of death. Week after week, this is what we're doing. We're using our words to proclaim and sing the truths that God has given us. We're singing as an anthem, this is our world. This is our new life that God is shaping in us. And you know what happens when we do this? The enemy just runs. Our lying, joy-stealing enemy, he flees. And the Spirit of God fills us with his joy and power. Church, this is what our words do. Our words are powerful. They give life and they breed courage. And so what is God doing in us? He's just giving us a new vocabulary of thankfulness and praise and life-giving words. He's putting off and seeking to get rid of our old vocabulary that tears down and destroy. New City, as we end our time here today, I want us just to pray and ask the Lord very simply, how are we using our words to build life? I mean, maybe today you just need to call someone and just send them a word of encouragement. 
And if someone came to your mind in that moment when I said that, that's probably the spirit of life. Just, and just go breathe life into their soul. Just, just go and do it. We have the power of words, of God's words given to us to breathe life into others. God has given us words. He's given us a message. He's given us the message of the gospel that is to then be used to push back darkness. Life-giving words that push away death. And God's means to reach the world and to alter eternity in the life of a person is our words. We are to speak the message of the gospel and then it changes lives. The simple gospel that God has given us of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, when we speak this great news of Jesus, it gets multiplied in the heart of a person and it breeds eternal life. When we use our words just to invite kids to Kids Week, it breeds the opportunity to alter eternity in the life of a kid. God has given us words as an incredible tool that can be empowered by the Spirit of God. But again, we must remember this doesn't come from our brute strength and strong will. It comes by sitting our life in the roots of God's soil, in the soil of God's love. It comes by daily being in the Word and praying uh, the Word and studying the Word and singing the Word. It comes through our unhurried time in the Word and in prayer and then just proclaiming to ourselves what is true. And then we just proclaim it to others. You see, death and life are in the power of the tongue and I'm praying that God would use us just to build courage and breathe life to all those around us. So just imagine with me today, what could God do with our words today? He could bring life and courage. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We're so thankful that you have given us the tool of words that are sharp in the hands of God, that have the power to pierce a heart and soul and change a person's demeanor, change a person's day, and to alter a person's eternity. God, we pray that we would be a people that week in and week out just shoot out words of praise and thanksgiving and courage to one another. God, use us in mighty ways with our words today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.